The following Seniors Talk was given by Patrick Yunin Kelly from his home in Brooklyn, New York. The talk took place in the context of a one-continuous-thread retreat, which brought together home practitioners and Zen Mountain Monastery residents over a week-long meditation. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or to find out more about our online programs, please visit us at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. So this is from the Fire Sermon Discourse. Monks, all is burning. And what monks is the all that is burning? The eye is burning. Forms are burning. Eye consciousness is burning. Eye contact is burning. And whatever feeling arises with eye contact is conditioned, whether pleasant or painful, or neither painful nor pleasant, that too is burning. Burning with what? Burning with the fire of lust, with the fire of hatred, with the fire of delusion. Burning with birth, aging, and death. With sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair. So, uh, good evening. (laughs) It was a little awkward to say good evening after that, but... uh, Good evening anyway. Um... My name is Yunan, um, and I am a uh, lay practitioner, uh, mostly down at the, at the city in Brooklyn, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a bit. So as I said, this is from the, uh, the Fire Sermon Discourse, which is a very well-known uh, teaching of the Buddha, of Shakyamuni Buddha. Uh, it was uh, in the Theravada tradition, it was supposedly the third teaching that he gave a few weeks after his awakening. So he, the first teaching that he gave uh, was devoted to the Four Noble Truths. And then he spoke about uh, anatman, or selflessness. And then this was the third discourse that he delivered. So also in the Theravadan tradition, this, this discourse, it's, it's said that it was spoken to, uh, to bhikkhus, to to monastics who were previously had been members of the fire cult, which was an ancient practice that, that predated the Buddha by hundreds or thousands of years. It was a teaching that was offered to a particular audience, as all teachings are. They're upaya. They're meant to help a particular audience. You know, I wonder if the Buddha was in any sense aware that that people would be, you know, listening to this 2,500 years later. In the Mahayana Sutras, uh, often non-human beings are, are pointed out as being present in the audience. So often there are bodhisattvas, shravakas, gods and goddesses, dragons, asuras, garudas, all sorts of transhuman or non-human or different entities. You know, I wonder uh, if, if all of these beings hear the same teachings that we do, or if they're different. In his open re- opening remarks on, on Monday night, Shubin Roshi said, the world is on fire. Indeed it is. The first noble truth that the Buddha taught is that life is suffering, dukkha. Many of us come to practice um, 
I think having experienced this fire of dukkha directly in our own body and mind, perhaps not everyone, I think there are some people who take up practice for other reasons, but I think that if you stick with it long enough, if you're committed to it, then, then sooner or later, the, uh, the fires of dukkha become unavoidable. We start to see it everywhere we look. All is burning. And this gives rise to a question, why? Why do we suffer? Why do those that we care for suffer? Why does life suffer? It's not an intellectual question. It's a really existential question. It is the great matter of life and death. When we notice this fire, maybe sometimes the first thing that we try is to put it out. Maybe before we really realize what it is, we try to change or control the circumstances that are responsible for our suffering or that we think are responsible for our suffering. And, you know, this, this approach is, is not entirely wrong. It's, it's a sensible thing to do. You know, if I'm, if I'm in my kitchen and a fire breaks out, I'm not going to sit down and do zaza and I'm going to grab a fire extinguisher. But if, if this is our primary approach to putting out the fire of the world, I think that, that we find it, it, at some point that it, it doesn't quite reach the root of the problem. We start to notice this particular fire breaks out whenever I'm in this situation. Perhaps I have something to do with it. So in this teaching, the Fire Sermon Discourse, the Buddha is addressing also uh, Samadaya, which is the second noble truth, the truth of the origin or the cause of suffering. So in this particular presentation, it's not to be located somewhere outside. The problem is, is rather in actually in the way that we apprehend what we call the world. So in the centuries after the, after the Buddha died, these teachings were, were systematized by, um, by the Abhidharma schools and, and codified. And, and this particular presentation became known as the, uh, tw the twelvefold chain of dependent origination. And this is a, a, a scheme or a description of how the world arises in our experience of the world simultaneously. So in this scheme, in the first four links, proceeding from on the basis of ignorance, consciousness um, and our karmic uh, formations arise, our sense faculties. And in this teaching, there are 12 of these. There are six sense organs, organs of perception, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, and six objects of perception, color, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, or mind object. And it said that when the, the sense organ, say the eye, comes into contact with the sense object, its respective sense object, say the color red, those two come together and give rise to visual consciousness, which is, this process is called contact. And then this contact gives rise to a feeling, pleasurable, unpleasurable, or neutral. And then we either cling, we, we crave that, there's a grasping for, for it, and then a clinging. And then the cycle continues. That becomes becoming, birth, old age, and death, 
and then we just cycle through. This is the cycle of samsara that beings are caught in. So I described it um, using the eye as an example, but it's similar for all the other five. So in the in Buddhist uh, phenomenology, the mind is also an organ of perception. So it's often said that the, the weak link in this chain is is thirst or or craving. And the Buddha taught that the uh, after the second noble truth, the third noble truth was about the nirodha, the cessation of suffering. And he taught that that was possible through the attainment of nirvana, which literally means to extinguish or to snuff out a flame, the three flames of greed, anger, and ignorance. But what does this mean in our actual experience of practice to, to extinguish the fire in the sense basis? Speaking of my own experience, I think one way that I try to do this or have tried this is, is to transcend forms, sounds, sense impressions, you know, to seek to attain a state of, of relaxation, tranquility of no thought, oblivion, maybe to find or to create a community where everything is placid and tranquil, perhaps where we can escape from the turmoil of the world. Uh, an even more sophisticated way is to uh, see the emptiness of phenomena and then to attach to that. Form is emptiness, then to attach to that emptiness. And I think these approaches also can, can bring some benefit, but they don't, again, they don't really get to the root of the problem. I mean, can, can you really attain a state of no thought for very long? Maybe in session, but then sooner or later the bell rings and you have to get it up. Or you're a server and then you're standing in the back and people are counting condiments and someone has to count the condiments. And so you have to think. Or, you know, when you go to work on Monday morning after session, then no one is particularly interested in the fact that you're attaining a state of no thought. There's also the issue of is it even possible to create a situation or a community that's entirely free from delusion, conflict, dissatisfaction. I think this is one of the many, many disappointments of practice. The monastery and the, the temple, the Sangha, do not exist outside of samsara. I mean, we certainly try to do a, a good job, but this is our... Saha world. As I've been reflecting my, my own tendency uh, to get stuck in silence or tranquility, or the idea of silence and tranquility. You know, it can seem nice at first, but it doesn't take very long before it starts to get stultifying, uh, dead. I was... Uh, as I was reflecting on this, I found some old emails, uh, an email correspondence that I um, had with uh, Miyotai Sensei, who was really responsible for getting, who was my, my first teacher in the MRO. So I, I wanted to share this with you. This is from, I, I, this exchange happened maybe 17 or 18 years ago when I was living at the monastery. And I was, I was working on Mu, which is a, a koan, so I wrote her, uh, I said, I have a question. 
I read in one of the commentaries on Mu that some people just aren't suited for that particular koan. How would you determine that? I mean, I sometimes feel that I don't even care what Mu is. No matter what I try, I can't seem to get started with it. I can't even tell if I'm practicing it or not, if I'm making use of my time here or wasting it, if I'm making good use of the teachers and seniors. I feel quite lost, not in any dramatic way. I'm just finding the practice unspeakably boring. And she wrote back to me, you have to grab this life now and risk yourself. What you've written is more heartbreaking than any other condition I can imagine. Fight with the practice, kick against it, wonder about it, play with it, but it is your life. To be unspeakably bored is unconscionable. I don't care what you do. Refuse, move, decide to take it dancing, take it up and sweat with it in the zendo for the next five nights. But I will indeed find you with my version of the big stick if you stay in this state. Wake it up. So that shook me. I felt like I had been set on fire, but in a good way. So uh, recently I've been trying to work, uh, to re rethink the way that I work with this fire of suffering, rather than just transcending it or putting out, trying to find ways to, to engage it, to make friends with it, to, to dance with it, as Nyotai says. So take anger, for example. It's one of the three fires that the Buddha spoke of. When anger rises, I, I generally find that the best thing to do is to practice restraint. Um, it's, it's a good place to start from. And most of the time, in my experience, that's the best way to proceed. But, but sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes I make a, a choice to open up to the anger and to let myself into it and to see where it will go. Sometimes this leads to trouble, but sometimes it, it actually opens doors. It, it's like it, it literally blazes a new trail that I hadn't seen before. You know, people have, have on occasion thanked me for expressing this sort of uncomfortable reality through anger. That usually doesn't happen right away. Usually some time needs to pass. But I think that the point is, is that fire is the fire of delusion. These fires that we, that we confront, they're dangerous, but they can also be useful. You know, if you think of our experience as, as human beings, uh, for, for most of our time on this planet, fire was probably the, the main source of light and warmth that we had. So you wouldn't want to just put it out. You would want to use it skillfully. The name of our, our temple in Brooklyn is Karenji, which means uh, fire lotus temple the lotus in the fire, in the midst of the fire that grows out of the fire. Dada Roshi used to say, often when he came down there, he would say, it is because the fire burns that the lotus can bloom. I always loved that saying. It, it really gets at something, I think, fundamental about the practice and the origin of suffering.
and more the, the interdependence of suffering and wisdom, samsara and nirvana. In the uh, the, the the entire phenomenal universe is is visualized as a mandala, a microcosm. And I don't practice this, but as I understand, there are five Buddhas, one for each direction and one for the center. And each Buddha corresponds to a color, a direction, a skanda, and a particular wisdom. And the wisdom of, of so the fire element corresponds to Amitabha Buddha, the, the Buddha of the Western Pure Land, uh, Amida Butsu. And the corresponding wisdom is, is discriminating wisdom. So the wisdom that perceives difference within equality. In the FASCO we're studying now, Dogen says, know that I just know the essence is to draw a circle. The drawn circle means that pole is that long, this pole is this long. At our last online meeting at the, at the temple Sangha, we got to talking about issues of identity. So race, gender, gender identity, sexuality. And I'm, I'm definitely not any sort of authority on this, but it seems to me that, that to do this work, it, it feels critical to develop this uh, discriminating wisdom, this wisdom that perceives difference within equality. That we are different, we take different forms, and we're equal. Not just, so this is not just form is emptiness, but also the other side of that, emptiness is form coming out of emptiness into different forms. So at the meeting, one, one Sangha member spoke about that they came, they were, they'd been coming to appreciate the value of vexations in practice. So this is my, my paraphrase of what they were saying. So I hope I got it right. But they were saying that they, they had previously assumed that, that vexations were obstacles to practice but they were coming more and more to see that, that actually they're gateways to practice, that to hold up unity at the expense of difference was a kind of spiritual bypassing. Another person spoke about really appreciating the value of interpersonal tension, that there was sometimes a tendency to want to make everything perfectly smooth or placid, but this person felt that, that actually this sort of tension is, is creative and productive. In her book, uh, The Way of Tenderness, uh, Zenju Earthling Manuel, who's a, a Zen teacher through the uh, Suzuki Roshi lineage, uh, says, speaks to this. She says, we may attempt to refrain from identity out of fear of opposition and conflict, not seeing its transformative capacity. We all react, respond, yell out, hold back, cry, laugh, or curse when these so-called labels are activated. But if race, gender, and sexuality are merely labels, merely words, we should be capable of moving through life without being affected by them, as if they were all truly, truly illusions. And clearly that's not the case. She continues, to be good people, we tend to bypass the messiness of our lives in order to enter the gate of tranquility. Can the gate of tranquility really be as we imagine it? 
No matter which way we approach peace, it seems we must cross the burning threshold of human conditioning. We are not superheroes. We are human beings. That's so important and it's so hard to learn that. We want so badly to reach some other state. As Dada used to say, it's because the fire burns that the lotus can bloom. You know, actually, it's, it's not so easy to distinguish the lotus from the fire if you start looking really, really closely. And to even speak of them as, as two interdependent entities seems to miss the mark. You know, I was, I was feeling this and then I, I felt that I wanted to go back to the, the fire sermon discourse and, and just reword it, just tweak it a little bit. So here's my effort. Monks, all is blooming. And what monks is the all that is blooming? The eye is blooming. Forms are blooming. Eye consciousness is blooming. Eye contact is blooming. And whatever feeling arises with eye contact is conditioned whether pleasant or painful, or neither plain, painful nor pleasant, that too is blooming. Why would you want to extinguish it? So in Nakagawa, who is Dadaroshi's first teacher, has a haiku. He wrote, all beings are flowers blooming in a blooming universe. You could you could read this as, as being sentimental, but I don't think at all that's what he's saying. When he says all beings, he really means it, all beings. From the, in the traditional Buddhist cosmology, from the depths of hell all the way up to the highest heaven and all the different people in the human world. All beings are blooming. And also when he speaks of blooming, he's not excluding burning. All beings are burning with the fires of greed, anger, and ignorance. In the, in the Mountains and Rivers Sutra, Dogen is speaking of water. And he says, we should study that time when the water of the ten directions is seen in the ten directions. I think we could also say, we should study that time when the fire of the ten directions is seen in the ten directions. And another way to paraphrase Dogen, you could say, to regard fire only as burning is an insult to fire. We're different beings. We see things differently. We see a different world, different worlds. Some beings see blooming, some beings see burning, some beings see emails and traffic and to-do lists. I think however the world appears to us right now, whatever world we are experiencing right now, we can practice it. I think this is the faith in Buddha mind. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about our ongoing programs and residency opportunities, visit ZMM.org.